Hey everyone, you're listening to the 10-7 Podcast, where we get together every fortnight, and sometimes more often, to talk about technology, business, and the humans in it. I'm your host, Ivan Stegic. My guest today is Johannes van Dorp, a scientist and group lead at the Fraunhofer Institute for Communication, Information Processing, and Ergonomics, FKIE, in Germany. He co-led the group at the Institute that published the 2020 Home Router Security Report in June of this year, describing, quote, significant security flaws in 127 different home routers from seven manufacturers that are regularly used across the United States and the world. In fact, it's highly probable that the Wi-Fi you're using right now is connected to the Internet using one of these routers. We'll talk about the study, how it was conducted, the report, and what the results are, and most importantly, what you can do about it. Joining me from Godesberg, which is just outside of Bonn, Germany, is Johannes. Welcome! It's wonderful to have you on the show, and hopefully I didn't butcher the names too badly. <laughs> Happy to be on the show. Yeah, um, now I think you did a great job. I'm known to have a not-so-nice name for um, English native speakers uh, to pronounce. So, yeah, you're re really are fine on that. Uh, you're fine on that front. Oh, good. I'm glad. It, it strikes me that the name is almost Dutch. I, haven't, I don't think I've seen German names like, like yours before. Last names and actually first names, too. Yeah, it's a regular question. Um, I really don't know uh, what the origin of that is. You have to basically switch out one of the uh, of the last um, the last um, character into an F instead of a P, and then it's basically from the village in German. From the village. Mm. So maybe it was just some area in Germany where that was a dialect, and then that is where it uh, originated from. Maybe it's Dutch. But we don't know. We don't know. How interesting. Well, let's start with the Fraunhofer Institute for Communication, Information Processing, and Ergonomics, FKIE, which is a long name. <laughs> what, what can you yes. tell me about this institute? Where is it located? What, what do you do there? Um, yeah, well, the institute is located uh, in another place near Bonn. It's called Wachtberg. 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 It is a former research institute that originated in the 50s, I think, building a space radar, which mm. one of these uh, large uh, golf ball-looking uh, thingies. Through the years, there were three institutes that grew around this radar, and one of them is ours. It is now, I think, a 400-people institute, mostly researchers, um, that is doing a lot of research some military, some governmental-issued uh, research contracts. But uh, through the years and uh, uh, really um, after joining the Fraunhofer Group, we now do a lot of like industry research as well. So, yeah, in the past we were more like this government uh, research uh, institute and now we are really um, like all through industry, government, contracts, whatever, doing stuff with... Yeah, about everyone. <laughs> and f is it named after the Fraunhofer that's famous for the Fraunhofer diffraction? Yes. Yeah. It is. Okay. 
No, I would just want to say Fraunhofer is like uh, this uh, uh, 35,000 people uh, group in Germany with institute all over the country, which we are just one of a couple hundred that we have, I think. Um, so it's uh, really a distributed thing. So we don't have really much to do with the opti optics uh, guy, <laughs> but um, yeah, more a local thing. And you're a scientist in the cyber analysis and defense department. That's a part of the institute. That's correct. What's your role there? In a week now, I'm a group lead of, um, of my research group, which is called Applied System Analysis. Uh, before that, I was uh, a researcher in that exact same uh, research group. And before that, even an, a, a student assistant. So I started in 2014 and slowly worked my way up to now <laughs> being the group lead. Congratulations. That You said that's a week old. Yeah. You're back from a paternity leave and already have a uh, promotion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think uh, five days after uh, my paternity uh, leave started, my former group lead um, uh, left us. Uh, actually, that's relevant because it was Peter, who was the co-author of mm. the report that we're talking about today. And uh, yeah, basically out of necessity, um, I got promoted. And I'm now the one who has to do all the administrative stuff uh, to keep the workforce uh, happy and make, keep everyone doing his job. And uh, hopefully you still get a chance to be in the weeds a little bit and maybe doing some network analysis as a part of that administration. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that was the plan at least. I'm hopeful that this will be the way it will work out. So that's nothing that I w want to do, only the administrative tasks. Of course. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the report and the paper that's the central part of our discussion today. I'm going to quote something here that came out of the report. You tested 127 routers And the quote goes as follows from the report, nearly all were found to have security flaws, some of them very severe. The problems range from missing security updates to easily decrypted hard-coded passwords and known vulnerabilities that should have been patched long ago. That's scary and bad. Uh, were, were you surprised by these results? Not really, I have to say. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's uh, because we're doing research in that area for quite some time now. And I've had a look at basically these results in some form or fashion, not for the specific devices that we had in the report, but for others in the same class of uh, devices, I guess. And the picture that painted itself was, was clear beforehand. That was one of the reasons we actually did the report, because... We saw that and we were basically as shocked as you are uh, after reading the report in the first hand. Yeah, we wanted people to know basically. Yeah. So tell me about how the idea got started that you would test these routers because you, you explained how you've had some experience before and like where, where, where did the light go off where you thought, oh my goodness, we have to, we have to pick a large um, data set of routers and test them all. I would say it was um, developed over time. It wasn't like the point in time where we said, now we have to do it. It was more, um, yeah, we did some observations on that. Um, we, uh, over the years, developed the uh, primary analysis tool that we used uh, for the analysis, the firmware analysis and comparison tool, 
or short fact. Um, nice, that, nice, um, very nice fact. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, quick aside, I think we chose chose fact before we chose the names that <laughs> built the acronym because it was formerly known as FAF, just Firmware Analysis Framework. And then we found out that there was another GitHub project with that name, so we had to change. And then we thought about which acronyms would be cool, and then, uh, yeah, <laughs> so it was fact in the end. We developed over the years, uh, and basically is, um, is an automated tool that generates all the nice uh, statistics that we could then use in the report. And the idea for long has been to really evaluate the landscape of device security. And over time, we thought, how could we make this most poignant, most precise, and how could we shape these results so that someone would be interested in reading them mm -hmm. and they would be um, reliable, or at least as reliable as possible. So in the end, we chose to only go for home routers or router firmware instead of, say, also looking at printers, which we did a lot, or access points or other or switches, other network hardware, um, or like, say, um, IoT devices as such as smart plugs, smart um, lighting or something. So we chose that because then the results would be more comparable mm -hmm. between each other. Um, and we could, I think, paint a clearer picture regarding that specific class of devices that is, I think, the most ubiquitous regarding the networked hardware that we as humans uh, use in the everyday life. So I have two actual follow-ups to this. So you mentioned the tool and you mentioned the name was already taken on GitHub. So does that mean FACT, the tool, the one that you've developed, is open source and available for anyone to use? Yes. You should just not make the uh, uh, mistake of just Googling FACT because then it would be on page like 200 on uh, <laughs> Google. How, what's um, the best way to find it? Um, you can either uh, search for FACT core, like the core of uh, the the tool, mm -hmm. um, which is the GitHub name, or you can just Google fact and firmware, and then we will probably find it. Fact and firmware. And of course, we'll link to this in the show notes on the web so that there are direct notes. That's wonderful that it's open source and that it's out there. Uh, I'm definitely going to take a peek at it, maybe clone the repo and see what I can uh, figure out from there as well. But my follow-up question is the report had a had the year in the report. So 2020 um, was in there. Does that mean that you're planning on rerunning this uh, report again next year or on some regular basis? Yeah, um, exactly. So the plan would be, or is at this point, to do it yearly. I think that's uh, la uh, large and small enough um, time frame to where it's not as much overhead to uh, replicate the work and also um, both get improvements in the um, in the method uh, that we applied and give the vendors time to basically update the firmware because already when you look at the um, the, we had one of these statistics was release date, um, and there were a lot of devices that did not get a firmware update in the last year. So um, then we wouldn't see any 
differences in the in the outcome. It sounds like you're more optimistic that manufacturers are actually going to update the firmware than I might be, giving them like giving their past track record. I mean, sure. The, the uh, so we have observed some vendors which will put out software or firmware updates quite regularly, like once uh, uh, or like four times a year, say. Mm. Uh, that is not unseen. So that is um, depending on which manufacturer you're purchasing from. Um, that will happen. How much of an impact that makes on the security, or specifically the things that we found in our analysis, that I don't know. Uh, because yeah. uh, sometimes you only fix usability bugs. Sometimes you present new features to your users. And it's not always that you you put out a patch just to say close some security issues. Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about the scientific method you used to select the routers that you decided were would be a part of the study. Can you talk a little bit about how you selected the pool, whether the routers you selected might change in the next report? And then I'd love to hear about the logistics of getting these things in-house. I assume you actually had the hardware in-house and were testing it there. Actually, we did not, or at least we didn't in the most cases. Um, we basically, we only analyzed uh, the, the, the firmware running of these devices. Since the uh, statistics we generated were all only dependent on the, on the firmware, uh, there was not a direct need for the hardware in the office. And then the thing that you would be interested in doing is to verify as much as you could about the statistical security vulnerabilities that we found. There, I have to say that we basically wouldn't have time for that, to do that on 137 devices. So I can go a bit into what we did with some of the devices that we have in-house later on. But I can also like start telling you a bit more about how we chose the devices. Yeah, how did you choose the devices? And yeah. then we could talk about what hardware you had in-house. The methodology was uh, quite naive at the start. So how did we choose? So we first we chose vendors. We looked at some stuff like sales in uh, some of the online sales platform, which we had access to, like seeing which, which devices sold the most, had the most comments from people who bought them, um, and then also which uh, vendors were seen the most on security news websites regarding issues in the firmware, because obviously that is the point where we wanted to look at. And we went from there. What we really wanted to do was to get some market share documentation. But actually, when you take a closer look into that, uh, you go into paywalls rather quickly. And these paywalls were high enough, say, starting at values um, that we couldn't really do it without having some funding for that. It is something that we want to make sure that we get before we do the two, 2021 one. Um, and I think now having the report from this year and the impact, um, 
might be a motivation for someone to fund that for us. Mm. Uh, but for this one, which we did basically uh, without any funding, it wasn't possible basically for us to get a market share documentation. And then as we had the vendors, um, which we um, assumed at the time, or we assume are quite um, important in the European base, and I think also in the US for the most part, I think excluding one German manufacturer, which is only on the European uh, uh, market. I think we painted a nice picture there. And then we took all devices from all these vendors we selected, uh, which were at the time um, sold or advertised uh, on their online platforms. And then once you've selected all the routers that exist, do you then, how do you find them on the web if you don't have the actual hardware in the house? Yeah, like I said, we uh, the analysis uh, goes on the firmware of the devices, so the software that is running on them. Um, oh, the operating I see. System so you, of the software. so you, did you have to download every firmware for each device? And exactly, I see. I see. How do you get that running in a virtual machine, or how does that part of the uh, the analysis work? Um, actually, most of the analysis that we do is a static analysis. Oh. So you can, for example, looking uh, at, a, at, at a router, when you get your, to the download portal, um, you would see like a zip file or a RAR archive mm -hmm. or whatever. And then in there will be some kind of uh, proprietary archive format oftentimes called .bin or .image or whatever, which is in like a file format that the vendor will probably create or have created um, in, um, in relation to their update procedure. And what we have to do now is like extract the real firmware from that because of some compressed archive format. And that can be done during some open source tooling, some of the stuff that we developed in our house. And then what you get is basically a kernel, so for Linux firmware, a kernel and a file system. And there you have like everything you have to, you need to run the firmware if you have like the correct hardware platform for that. Because like most of the times you will not have binary code that is for your usual desktop PC or net notebook, which is running on x86, uh, but on ARM, which uh, runs on uh, your Raspberry Pi, for example, mm -hmm. or on uh, MIPS processors, which is uh, like another one of these usually in embedded uh, hardware used uh, processors. Then we, we run different kinds of static analysis on that and some dynamic as well, where, for example, we try to emulate the, uh, the single binaries and get more information from that. You had mentioned earlier that you actually had some hardware that you tested and that you analyzed. And so how many of the 127 routers did you actually have in-house and, and did you test compared to how much of it was static analysis of the firmware that you downloaded? Actually... Everything that is in the report is, is uh, the statically or mostly static uh, analysis from uh, the using the fact tool. What we did with the hardware basically was either get the firmware because we couldn't download it, 
or basically reverse the update procedure so we could extract the firmware components. For example, because um, one of the manufacturers uses an encryption scheme um, to protect their firmware. Um, and we were able to reverse the update mechanism, find that the key, crypto key is hard-coded into the binary, and then we could easily decrypt that router and also other routers from the same vendor to get inside it and have the uh, ability to yeah, observe them. T tell us about that manufacturer and why they would consider their firmware proprietary. I, I would guess it's not the Linux operating system, it's something else. Are they, do they have any benefit for the consumer that's using that router, or is it just a way for them to try to protect their own intellectual property? It depends on your viewpoint, I guess. It could be different meanings regarding that. Um, so encrypting your firmware updates when you send them through the network um, might be a good idea if you don't want anyone to have it. But since like 95% from the router firmware is open source anyway, and every vendor has to publish the open source source code for their firmware, I don't really get the, the impact from that because it makes only the life of the analyst or the security researcher uh, a bit harder and doesn't bring you really a much greater level of security, uh, especially if you have like an weak encryption mechanism that can be cracked by just getting one device. I would call it a bit uh, of a security through obscurity scheme. Mm. Um, but then again, encryption of firmware might be something that is um, important in other contexts, like, for example, in critical infrastructure where no one but like the guy who is operating the uh, power plant has access to it. But in a world where we have it ready to download in the network, uh, the internet, I don't know why you would do that. When I read the report, it was surprising to me that there were actually operating systems on home routers that weren't based on Linux. Did you find they were more or less secure? Was there anything you could glean comparatively to Linux? And then after that question, let's, let's talk about Linux as well. I don't want to give you uh, a too deep answer because it would not be uh, <laughs> it would not be very well educated because I have to uh, have to say that uh, most of our uh, work is done on Linux based firmware. Mm -hmm. The other operating systems that we found, uh, I think in the report uh, we had two different uh, ones: uh, ThreadX and uh, Ecos which are both real-time operating systems. They differ in, uh, from, say, Linux or Windows or Mac in that they are basically only one large binary file. So um, one large binary file uh, that looks a bit like a kernel but has all the uh, user space software in it as well. It is something that you see oftentimes in environments where, where timing and response times are critical or where uh, certification is critical because no one can like certify a Linux kernel that has too many lines of code mm -hmm. so that you can certify it regarding something. 
but um, these smaller real-time operating systems have a better chance to do that. The consensus in the industry is that basically it is harder on the start to exploit a real-time operating system, mainly because you don't have the easy way in. So mm. you have to have more expertise as an analyst um, to start analyzing that. But since Linux is something that a lot of people are looking at, and these real-time operating systems aren't, you would think that once you have a bearing of what you're looking at, then it would be easier, most probably, to exploit them. Mm. Yeah. And as as far as the Linux kernels are concerned in the routers that you analyzed, it was frustrating for me to realize that old kernels are being used, that newer kernels exist and have existed that patch all of the security vulnerabilities that have been announced and that are known for these older kernels. Tell us a little bit more about that. Why do we have outdated kernels running on these routers? There's some reasons. <laughs> uh, some of them are um, things that you can, uh, they are okay. And then there is some that you cannot really understand. So some of them is just um, you have a, a development team and they have like a development platform um, for, their, for their router. And that development platform might just support this certain range of Linux kernels. And then uh, upgrading to a newer kernel would, uh, yeah, would make you use or create a new development uh, platform, new development um, procedures, and so on and so forth. So it might be a bit laziness in that part. Um, and that is something that I think is the problem most of the time. So as we know, devices get cheaper and cheaper over time. So the vendors have a problem with um, putting enough resources uh, into the de development process, and that leads to outdated code, outdated software, or just when you, when you set up a new device, you just take the firmware from the older device and put some extra, uh, additional features in that instead of uh, starting new from scratch. Then... Also, which is some a reason, which is a better reason for not having like the 5.4 Linux kernel in there, is driver support because you don't have off-the-shelf hardware uh, necessarily in your in your uh, embedded devices and your router. So you have to see that the kernel also supports, say, the wireless module that you are um, that you have built in your hardware, and that might necessitate that you go to a, a bit older kernel version. But there is not, real, not a real reason to have a 2.6 kernel running. And that is the most common kernel we found in our results. Wow, 2.6, that's three ver major versions old. What year does that go back to? I think the 2.6.32 got the last security update more than 10 years ago, wow. maybe. But I have, to, I, I have to check. I think there are some numbers regarding that in the uh, report. I, I may be able to scroll to them uh, quickly to get it. But, um, but yeah, like I said, um, there is some hardware limitations uh, regarding the kernel version, but not for 2.6.32. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, I think uh, 2011 was the last time uh, the, we had security updated for the 2.6 kernel. Wow. 
Let's talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Passwords. <laughs> I'm a major proponent of using um, a password management tool. I try to have a unique password for every single account I have that's at least 64 characters long. I, I shudder when people reuse their passwords in different accounts. And what I'm hearing from you and from the report is that the passwords in the routers are really easy to crack sometimes unencrypted and also hard-coded in cases. Uh, what were your findings regarding passwords and this set of data? Yeah, so what we found was that a lot of devices had hard-coded passwords. So why is that bad? Yeah, why is that bad? Hard-coded means um, it is baked into the firmware of the device and um, keeping in mind that most of this firmware is mounted read-only uh, in your device, you can change it at runtime. So you have like this hard-coded password, you, which you can never change. Um, and everyone who has access to the firmware can download it, grab the password, and now have your, uh, has your password. And it's one of the ways, um, for example, the Mirai botnet uh, a couple of years ago exploited home recording systems and routers and things like that because uh, just tried some standard credentials and uh, for a lot of devices you can not really do a lot about that. And what is the alternative? What would a manufacturer actually be able to do to not hard code a password? And, and did you find any routers that were like that? We did. So when I said most of the routers had hard-coded credentials, um, we have to say two things. Um, yes, um, there were also routers which did not, so there is obviously ways to, to, to not hard-code it. And then not all the passwords that we found were like easily crackable. I mean, we had like one, two, three, five, six, uh, four, five, six. We had like root, root, stuff like that. Password, password, um, admin, password. Uh, yeah, stuff like that, exactly. Um, so that gets like cracked super fast. And we have uh, devices that use old hashing schemes like 3DES, which are known to be uh, easily broken with uh, magic tables. That said, that's not like the majority of passwords. But also you have to think about what this means, that having hard-coded system passwords, for example, it means that if you get into the system, it's like easy to go in there and mostly you have root access. But it also necessitates that you, for example, have a secure shell or telnet open on, uh, on the device and get into that. We see a lot of times that the system passwords also um, are the passwords for the web interface, uh, so your configuration interface for your router. But there's uh, sometimes where the, these um, passwords differ or where, for example, you have like a hard-coded password onto the firmware and the web UI uh, prompts you to change your password for the web UI on first login. Yeah, regarding ways how to um, not do that, you can either have a process where you can like set these passwords um, on first login, then you have to 
have some mechanism where that is not a read-only value on your system. Mm. You can um, put it someplace on the hardware where it is um, not updated on firmware updates. And then you can have it not be in the internet. But then again, you should be uh, then also um, keeping in mind that you should have an up uh, change procedure for that. Because otherwise you will probably have like a one password for all your devices and then it is like easy as again because just one researcher has to go and um, crack open a router and post it to the internet and your security is broken, broken. Again. Your report said that some manufacturers are better than others. And so tell us what better means and tell us if you had to recommend a a manufacturer or even a router to listeners, where would you go? Vendors that use newer kernel versions, um, vendors that don't use uh, passwords or hard code uh, their crypto keys, like private SSH keys into their firmware, which use more uh, exploit mitigation on their binaries, like stack protection stuff, and which update their firmware regularly. Regarding the vendors in our study, we had, for example, uh, the European-only vendor called AVM. They uh, do a nice job regarding the Linux kernel versions, for example. Um, so they actually use 4.4 kernel in uh, about half um, their firmwares, and they don't have any 2.6 kernel versions in there. You have, like for example, Netgear, which does use, for example, 2.6 kernels in about half of their firmware, but other than that, um, also uses a lot of Linux kernels, 4.4, uh, 4.1, uh, and 3.4, for example. So that is a big thing, because then you drop all these Bluetooth and Wi-Fi vulnerabilities that are basically known for 10 years in the Linux kernel. What I find really uh, important is the what we talked earlier about, the regularity of updating. So, for example, Netgear and Asus and uh, the European AVM, they do regularly upgrade, upgrade the firmware for most of their devices. Actually, I think for all these three vendors, uh, we have all or nearly all devices inside of the last year. For updates, there are open source router firmwares like the ones that were based on DDWRT and OpenWRT. I would guess that those are updated more frequently. Is one of the ways of mitigating the security vulnerabilities in routers for manufacturers to just adopt this open source firmware and make their routers use this firmware so that? We're using the combined knowledge and the combined open source power of the, the entire planet to secure routers? I would say yes, but that would be a clear yes only when I'm looking out of the glasses of my uh, IT security background. I think um, you have to always be a bit picky regarding background and uh, ba basically adversarial model. So... Do you feel like governmental type attacks on your system or are you basically someone who just want to protect from the next um, botnet taking over your home router? Mm. Because if it's more the latter, I think 
um, going the open source route might be possible, but also can lead to some, even I would say, less secure router firmware. Because if you're taking the open source route, um, you have you can do a lot wrong. You can choose bad passwords, have services running on your internet-facing interface that you don't really need and are debug things that then can be exploited from the outside using these maybe bad passwords that you have set. Um, or you can even brick your device by applying the firmware wrong. So there's a lot of um, pitfall there. But I think something that everyone can do is um, look for firmware updates for the systems, apply them yourself if it's necessary, because not every uh, vendor or, let's say, most v vendors do not have an automated update procedure. Then change the access passwords on your firmware, at least the ones for your user interface, because these ones you can probably always change. And really important, disable all the debug features of your firmware. And that is something that you could should be able to all do just using the like extended menu of your configuration interface. And it does not need for you to really have like IT background. But if you have, then go ahead, try out OpenWRT. Um, it is nice, it is updated quite frequently. You can have like the most recent Linux kernel version for your uh, firmware. Um, and you can have nice additional features that you don't even might know that your device can offer you. I have an Orbi mesh, and I know you, you were probing it at the beginning of our um, discussion. What does your home router situation look like? So I have an, uh, from this uh, vendor AVM, a Fritzbox, which is a German word, I guess, uh, 7590. It is um, uh, like uh, one of the high-end devices of this specific vendor. And um, I think it had, has gotten a firmware update rather recently, like two months ago or a month ago, maybe. It is regarding the spectrum of this report on the um, upper end, I guess. So it's one of the devices that makes a lot of things right and not so much things wrong. I also have tried out the OpenWRT. There is the possibility for me to have that on the device, but right now I'm running it basically on stock firmware. Is there something that a user who's worried about their router can do that's easy to know, apart from actually updating the firmware and changing passwords, as you mentioned earlier, is there somewhere where they can check a list and look to see where their own router is affected in this list of tested binary, uh, firmwares that you have? Since we did not like also post a device-by-device -device list of everything that we found, but also uh, only the uh, aggregate that is um, supplied in the report, we did not offer something like that. Uh, what you can do is write us an email uh, with the device that you have, and either it is in our data that we generated already, or we'd be able to compile some information regarding that in a short span of time, most likely. That would be one way. But aside from that, there is not really like this, um, or to my knowledge at least, there is not like a list of all the 
nice home routers and like a one to five how secure it is uh, is it so I mean you can look at the report see if it is one of the vendors that is doing a better job let's say um, and then maybe or probably doing all the uh, best practice stuff that is uh, that I just said before you're probably fine um, but aside from that um, it's up to you to check um, the security of your system and what email address should people use if they're interested in getting help there is a mailing list uh, it's called uh, firmware-security at fkie.fraunhofer.de i think it uh, for the purpose of this podcast it might be most helpful to put it in the description of the pod in the end Absolutely. We'll do that. We'll make sure we get that published and the correct email address in the show notes. Um, so if you're listening and you're curious about that, make sure you check the website and we'll have it there. Yeah. Happy to have. It would be great if there was a website you could just go to and it would probe the router that you on and could tell you what firmware you're using and even what model of router it is and then a green, yellow, red, whether or not you should be thinking of that. <laughs> like, that would be amazing. But I understand that that doesn't exist just yet. Yeah. Maybe that's just the next research project for our group. Yeah. And maybe you'll get some funding to do the next version of the report. And that might be a part of it. That would be wonderful if that was the case. Obviously, then we would credit you with the idea. <laughs> well, thank you very much. This was a really fascinating uh, discussion. I'm so glad to have been able to talk to you and that you've shared this important paper and this important work that you've done with us and with our listeners. And I hope you keep going from strength to strength. And maybe next year, when the next report is published, you'll join us again and we can talk about what, what's changed and how much better we are. I'd be happy to do just that. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Janus von Dorp is a scientist and group lead in the Cyber Analysis and Defense Department at the Fraunhofer Institute for Communication, Information Processing and Ergonomics, FKIE, in Germany. He co-led that group at the Institute that published the 2020 Home Router Security Report. You've been listening to the 107 podcast. Find us online at 107.com/podcast and if you have a second, do send us a message. We love hearing from you. Our email address is podcast at 107.com. Until next time, this is Ivan Stegich. Thanks for listening.